0: podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca.
1: And I'm Pastor Chad.
0: And our scripture reading for this week was from Exodus chapters 5 and 7, and it was about plagues.
1: Yay! Who doesn't like a good plague? (laughs) Yay!
0: Oh, the Exodus story. Um, There is always so much to say about the Exodus that we can't fit it in a podcast.
1: Yeah, or a sermon. No. So I think the, the challenge this week, um, sermon-wise, was figuring out what direction to go because there's so much there. So our story picks up, I believe, in chapter five with like the first two verses, I think, if memory serves me correct. It's basically uh, Aaron and Moses going before Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. And,
0: and then Pharaoh saying, nope!
1: yeah to like happen. yeah not happening um, so there's lots lots of lots of angles to go, lots of directions, and then this, and then that we jump all the way to chapter seven and pick up uh, this first plague, um, turning water the waters of Egypt, particularly the Nile, uh, into blood, stinky fish, dead fish, and undrinkable water and uh,
0: so here 's what I find interesting about um that we sit there and we're like, ew, this is really gross. And that would be enough for us to make a change. Yeah. And then I look at our stinky gross water <laughs> that we can't half the time get in um without, you know, flesh eating bacteria or something along those lines, you know, with our toxic algae, our manatees are dying. Um and we kind of just live with it.
1: Yeah. So, in fairness, it's not blood.
0: It is not blood,
1: Um, and that's really stretching to say, "Whoa, it's not blood." Um, Yeah, it's really interesting, you know. So, as part of as part of my sermon, I kind of opened with uh, allowing the congregation to determine where they would draw the line. Um, So, went through all the reading. Did not go through all ten of the plagues. I went through all ten of the plagues as part of my sermon. To see where exactly it was that we would draw the line and nearly everybody nearly everybody bailed on the first one like not me like no <laughs> not you but nearly everybody bailed waters turn to blood peace out i'm done not happening um i'm letting my i pe- i'm letting god's people go let my people go yep okay got it bloody water yep out um, So, maybe there's a difference. I'm really stretching here and trying to help our people out. Maybe there's a distinction between blood and blue green algae. So, if you're not from this area, um, we have Lake Okeechobee, which is in the middle of the state, and lots and lots and lots of runoff, farming runoff runs into Lake Okeechobee. Especially
0: from like the sugar plants. Right,
1: sugar plants and and, and, and
0: fertilizer.
1: And all that fertilizer sits in Lake Okeechobee and just boils um, because it does get hot down here. It creates this wonderful uh, house uh, for for blue-green algae. Well, when the lake gets to a certain depth, um, they then release that water through canals in various locations and ends up in our waterways and on our shorelines. Um, And our our local or our national representative, Brian Mast, um, is a Republican. But very, very, very environmentally um, conscious, which which I appreciate. It's not always a hallmark of the Republican Party um, in terms of environmental regulations. And it's, it's an area where he is extremely, extremely passionate and extremely strong because, you know, the effects are, are pretty severe. Not just with manatees dying, as Pastor Rebecca said, we've had, you know, uh, more manatees die so far this year than in any year that
0: 's like eight hundred some I think so yeah far. now personally,
1: I am not a manatee fan. I think manatees are the most overrated creatures um, they 're just <laughs> they 're just they 're just cows that lay in they 're just water cows, sea cows, and they 're boring
0: and what 's wrong with cows
1: nothing i like to <laughs> i like to eat them, but i 'm not going to go watch <laughs> them for entertainment um oh you but, didn't
0: grow up in nebraska clearly but yeah but yeah
1: we do these we had these man we're way off track here already I know. but we do these manatee tours and you go in and, and and see the manatees and i'm like the first time we went yeah, you know, we're excited and i'm like they're just laying there in the water i don't get it i don't know manatees are a thing anyway regardless killing them with our toxic algae is is not okay um so maybe we make this distinction that uh, it's not blood, so it's so it's okay, or it's farm waste, therefore you know it's a necessity. I, I think we can make a really strong case that you know maybe that's not the best way to handle things. Um, and then there's all all these safety concerns, not just with manatees, but whether or not breathing the air. Um, oh, it's oh yeah.
0: Well, I still remember my first summer here, and it was like the 1st of July. I was about to actually head to Nebraska um, for the 4th, and I was going over the bridge, the Palm City Bridge here, and the water was literally neon green. Yeah. And I'd never seen such a th- I was like, the river is glowing. What You know, I, I mean, you expect to see such things on St. Patrick's Day in Chicago, but, you know, not the St. Lucie River yeah, in, in Palm City, Florida, in July. And that's when I got my first introduction to what toxic algae was. And, oh, the stench that went with it. It was, I mean, it was really bad. But I, I, I guess my, you know, the way I'm looking at it is we're, we're quick to say, oh, yeah, that would be it for me. And yeah. yet you have to realize in Egypt, I mean, slavery is, is its economy. Yep. So if you just immediately say, oh, you know what? There's blood in the river. I'm done. I'm out. Or for my, in my case, it was the frogs. Um, the frogs did it for me. Uh, not a big fan of the reptiles. Um, I guess they're amphibians. Not amphibians, big, they're correct. amphibians, but point being, um, I'm, I'm not a big fan frog land on my head the other day and it was really oh. gross and freaked me out. So I don't think I would do well with, with, with the plague of frogs.
1: But they are dead. So technically.
0: And, uh, ugh, but then the stinky, stenchy, right. whatever that comes along with that, which of course then brings the gnats and the flies and blah, 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 And there's blah, blah. many,
1: there's many of these flags, pl- flags, flags <laughs> that are, that affect your nose. Yes. Right. Yeah. So like dead fish in the water. Factory senses. Yeah. Just nose, dead, dead frogs, and then dead livestock. Like there's a lot of, not just destinies, but like bad smells too.
0: But, but to recognize slavery is an economic system. Yep. It's, it's your labor force. And for the Egyptians to say, ah, yeah. Okay. So we had a plague. We're going to get rid of, you know, we're gonna we're we're gonna let our entire labor force go. Um, that's gonna dramatically shift our economy, it's gonna dramatically shift you know, how we live. Um, let's just say the past year has shown me people do not react well to changes in how you have to live. Right. right. And
1: well, and it's it's I mean the, the economic factors. Yeah. um not just for the for the country but individually um i mean that that's it's a huge shift and for people to for people to give that up and change change is hard we've kind of established that um, for many people change is hard um, change to economic realities amplifies that right um and, this, and that would have that. been a
0: huge economic upheaval Correct. for the Egyptian system. Correct. And you know, so, and,
1: and maybe you know, maybe you know, the equivalent, the modern day equivalent, is is the the fifteen dollar minimum wage debate, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is a is a really heated debate and one that. So I. Very, so it's it's a justice issue on one end, and it's an economic issue on another end. And I think it's easy to say and beat the drum for $15 an hour minimum wage, and I have beat that drum. Um, and then here at, at Emanuel, um, you start looking at the economic realities of that. So we say, okay, so $15 an hour minimum wage, yes, livable wage, and I am certainly a proponent for that. And then you get into the weeds on the business side and go, Oh, well, we have a preschool. Some of our preschool teachers are not making fifteen dollars an hour. Many of our preschool teachers are not yet at fifteen. We have some that are close, we have some that are there, but many of them are not. And okay. you do the math to get to that fifteen for each of them. And if you know the person who's making twelve, you bump three bucks. Well you, then know, you have to
0: bump the person who's actually to, making fifteen. You have to
1: bump, yeah, as well. So it 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 is It's when you get into the weeds, it's it's a harder it's harder to to do the math and figure out and get there than what it seems on the surface. And I'm not saying that as an excuse to not. For me, that debate, the fifteen dollars an hour debate was I looked at it from large corporations. Right. Like Amazons. Yeah, so today Jeff Bezos just blasted himself into space. No comment. Yeah, right, no comment. Um,
0: <laughs> I think it's better if I make no comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes it's
1: safe to just not say anything. My mom said if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at yeah. all. Um, so so Jeff Bezos blasts himself into space today, and yet his workers, many of them, aren't earning a livable wage. Right. I have, an, I have a huge issue with that. But you can't just make a policy that says, well, Amazon needs to do that, and Walmart needs to do that, and these rich and these billion-dollar corporations need to do that. But small businesses and nonprofits, such as you know us here at Emmanuel, well, we don't have to follow that guideline. Well, yeah. we kind of do. So, so I'm aware of the economic realities of that and the challenges of that. And yet, and yet, as people of faith, um, livable wage and economic systems are are hugely important. So, yeah, maybe the modern day equivalent. To you know ending Egyptian slavery is bumping wages here to to fifteen for right. those so, for those so who you are can actually
0: survive and live correct
1: um. and and honestly here on the treasure coast uh try try living on fifteen an hour oh um, have
0: you seen the housing prices lately
1: yeah it's 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 sad, so as part of family promise um, we're intimately clued into housing costs you know we, we bring uh homeless families into the program, the idea, the structure is set up that in 60 to 90 days, we have them self-sufficient and in housing. Well, we're, we're doing great in terms of getting them you know, self-sufficient and ready, but there is no There's, housing. There
0: is no housing. Um, and I'm dealing with the same thing just on a personal level, not right. for me, myself, but for someone who um, I took in during COVID who... Get social security, but also uh-huh. was supplementing that with a teaching, uh, substitute teaching job and um, lost the substitute teaching job and subsequently got evicted because couldn't make rent. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, we've been looking into trying to find some Section 8 housing or, you know, any kind of affordable, and there are wait lists for the wait lists. Yeah. I mean, it's just yep. there's, there's absolutely nothing unless you're willing to pay for like a one bedroom anywhere between. Uh, $1,500 to uh, over $2,000 for a one-bedroom apartment. Yeah. And that's just not something that's feasible for somebody making $1,800 in Social Security. Yeah,
1: and there's, there's, an, uh, there's an Affordable Housing Council. Um, I think that's the name of it. I believe so. And so they are in the process of debating and defining what affordable housing is. Mm-hmm. So if you are a single mom and you are working at um a retail are you working retail you're not you're not raking in the bucks there is no housing for you in this market
0: no you have to um, go you know you know where you can go two hours away up to titusville up on the, the space coast you can get an apartment a one and i'm sure, seven to nine hundred dollars
1: and i'm sure titusville is lovely but I don't want to drive to Titusville to buy my groceries or to buy my shirts or to buy my shoes or whatever. Well, or, or to whatever.
0: commute to work.
1: Right, or because, commute to work.
0: Because, um, you know, I can afford to live in Titusville, but then I have to spend two hours driving yeah. and gas and everything else. And you wind up, it, it winds up not saving you
1: any yeah. money. So so one of, the, one of the debates on this council is is how they're defining affordable affordable housing. So for, you know, one of the things that was brought up was, oh, affordable housing is... If we have two teachers, they should be able to afford a house. Well, okay, yes. Two. If you're, if you are, first of all, our teachers are underpaid, Um, especially in Florida. Especially in Florida. God bless it. Especially this past year, I have more respect, even more respect for teachers that that had to endure last year and all the struggles. Anyway, yes. If 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 two families, if if the husband and if the two partners are uh, teachers, they should be able to afford a home, a place to live. And it's a stretch in this community. Now, take it a step further and say, well, if we're not sure if teachers both working can, how does a single mom, non-professional, afford to live in this community? Say, well, get a better job. Well, it's not always that easy. Um, I, you know, I wish well, it was as simple as...
0: So so substitute teacher who's 71 years old, how is she supposed to get a better job? Right. Um, you know, there, there's, there's some things at play there that it's just like that's just not... In the cards of getting a better job um, and recognizing a 71 year old having to get up at 5 a.m. every single morning and go you know if she were even to become just a, a regular full-time teacher at that age you're you're you know that's it, tough. it's not gonna go well. No, that's it's not tough. Go well. it's, not,
1: it's not good it's not good for education no. system or or her in particular. Yeah.
0: So, you know, that's that's kind of the thing I'm I'm personally dealing with right now, which makes me very intimately involved with, with the problem. But to get back kind of to our, our issue of what's going on in our, our text for today of you know Pharaoh hardening his heart and whatever, while on the one hand, bad evil Pharaoh. Yeah. On the other hand, uh oh, yeah. (laughs) How much are we actually kind of part of the same kind of systems that Pharaoh was part of? Yeah. Um, Yeah. They've evolved. They've changed. You know, they're different. But, you know, that that's still kind of the issue. And then the question I remember you came in and you asked me while you were preparing this sermon, you said, why did God blow just blow everything up? I mean, this is this is kind of
1: yeah, so so my my struggle, so I understood the why. Here here's the struggle, and I voiced this this weekend. You know, when we talk about God and and, and pose God as loving and caring and life giving, and then God is orchestrating the plagues, uh, there's a disconnect. Like that's a huge disconnect, and you know it's really hard to reconcile. Um how this loving, caring, life-giving God, creator of all, throws ten plagues at the Egyptians that are not loving, not forgiving, especially the last one. Not life-giving to the Egyptians.
0: Yeah, especially the last one that, yeah. that, that kills off the firstborn of
1: everything.
0: Yeah. And one of, My response to you when, when you came in was to go, well, that's just how much God hates it. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that was how much God was angry and upset with what was going on. And it was, this can't be a system that's reformed or changed. It's a system I got to blow up. And it's very interesting if you start really kind of looking at the economics of, of the ancient world and how things worked and, and justice, et cetera, and what God did in the midst of that. And it isn't just about, so, you know, we think about, okay, well, he freed, he, he, he freed the Israelite slaves. Great. Then what? Did he just say, okay, you're on your own. Now, you're he good. wanted to. You're he wanted to because they were an ungrateful bunch. That you know, once they wound up in the wilderness, <laughs> were like, "Oh, it was so much better for us in Egypt." Blah blah blah. And God's like, "Really?"
1: <laughs> yeah, and that, that and that text we we picked up earlier this year. Um, oh, actually, it was part of our stewardship our stewardship series. Um, you know, the Israelites you know are freed from captivity, like horrible oppressive slavery, and they get into the wilderness. Oh, I wish at least they fed us there. There was no water.
0: Everybody. Like, I mean, literally. It, it, it was but like,
1: again, so modern day parallel. You know, yeah. we have folks um, in our uh, justice system that go to prison, serve in prison, come out. They can't get a job. They, they they here's it was better in prison. Here's a bus ticket. You have no place to go. You ha- you've alienated your family, and you can't get a job because you now have a record, and.
0: You're institutionalized. And what and am I supposed easier, to do? You're easy, It's and easier I, to go back.
1: I had, I had a, this was, this was not here, but in Gainesville, I had a, a young gentleman come into my office and in tears and he said, I don't know what to do. I just got out of prison two weeks ago. I don't want to go back. I don't want to do the things that led me to prison. Um, he, he was, he was uh, selling drugs. Um, I don't want to go back to those, to those circles. I don't want to go back to that thing, but I can't get a job. I can't go back to the same people. I don't want to, but I have no options. I don't know what to do. I'm not religious. I don't know why I came here, but it just seemed like maybe, maybe I needed to come to a church. And it broke my heart because I mean, like you could see the pain on his face and the struggle. He had, he had a, he had a young, a young child and wanted very much to provide for that, but had no education. Um, And frankly, was screwed. No. I, I mean, so yeah.
0: Well, and and so when you look at the, this story of the people, you know, they're like, oh, maybe it was better for us back, and you know, whatever. And God's like, uh, no. Yeah. Um, but kind of the point is, even though God had a few moments of, you know, I'm gonna just be done with these people and I'm gonna leave her. I'm gonna send you up into the Promised Land, but I'm not gonna go with you. Yeah. And Moses is like, really. Um, the point is, God does not in the end, abandoned them. He, he continues to, to go with them. He continues to provide for them. And then when he takes them finally up into the Promised Land, now this is something that you aren't probably going to get just from reading the biblical story. You have to actually go back and study uh, sort of the, the politics of the time of empire and understand what the Promised Land was. The Promised Land was controlled by, shockingly, the Egyptians. The kings, the Canaanite kings that the Israelites went in and and, and basically destroyed and, and got rid of were vassal kings to the Egyptian empire, which means God sent them from one part of Egypt to another part of Egypt and said, I'm giving you Egyptian land. Um, and this is now yours. And it was a very coveted piece of land because guess what it controlled? Economics. Trade, yep. so yep. It was, there, there were only two routes um, that didn't go like through the long winding desert and was dangerous and whatever, that, that connected the African continent to both the European and Asian continents and into that yep. whole, whole Middle East area. And the only way you got there was to, through two roads that both ran through, guess, promised land Hmm. the the land of the Canaanites yeah Um, and so it was a very important piece of land and obviously was going to once again affect how Egyptian economies were affected because now it's being controlled not by vassal kings that have to pay tribute and have to do all kinds of things with with Egypt but is now controlled by these Israelites who were the former slaves of, of Egypt. So it's really interesting for me to kind of see how God actually acted and behaved in terms of um, what, what he was trying to do. And initially, you know, Israel was not supposed to have a king. Right. And They
1: begged and begged and begged and begged. They begged
0: and begged, and he finally relented and said, "I guarantee you're not going to like this because here's what happens when you have a king: um, inequality. Yep. Inequality happens. Um, the there is always this this upper echelon that is going to oppress the the uh, the less than's in order to maintain their power and whatever. And of course, that's exactly what happens. Um, even, you know we we get this monarchy in Saul by um then you get david and then the next one solomon and by solomon's time you've got guess what again slave labor yeah the very thing that god despised solomon reintroduces slave labor and if you go back and you read uh like around i think it's deuteronomy um i think it's 415 was 15.4? I can't remember. But anyway, um, it's in Deuteronomy. And it basically says, it, it gives all this outline of how you're supposed to care for people who are in poverty and poor. But then it makes this statement. And it says, but you won't have to worry about that because there will be no poor among you if you do this the way I tell you to. You, you won't have this problem. And guess what? They have the problem.
1: Yeah. And there's... so. So there's a tremendous hopelessness in all of that. Yes. Because we just keep repeating... Patterns. Patterns. And, like, like, yeah, I mean, there's a a tremendous amount of hopelessness in that. So, you know, why? Why? Why are we
0: the way we are?
1: Yeah, I I mean... (laughs) You know, so, so oh, we have to learn from history. We have to learn. But we don't. No. We really don't. What I mean, what have we actually learned from history? That Maybe that's a good question. What have we as humanity actually learned from history? We didn't learn that war is destructive and kills people. We still do that. We didn't learn that slavery is bad. We still do that. And, And so, in fairness, slavery looks different today.
0: Well, in, in our country, it looks different, yeah. but it yeah. doesn't look different in other parts of the world. It yeah. still goes on.
1: Yeah. So it, I, I, I'm, I'm yes, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to be sort of America-centric. I um, don't really want to fall into that. But yeah, so, it, I mean, but even in our country, we have slavery today. It just looks different. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, like, it, like, there's part of it that's really disheartening you know all the all the lessons and wisdom from scripture and some of them you know god lays out don't do this and we push we push we push we push we push and then it just I mean, it doesn't go well we don't listen
0: well and and i think the other thing too is to recognize um you know you say okay well now you're talking you're talking about economics and you're talking about politics and whatever what does this have to do with the spiritual well so interestingly um part of why god did not like other gods other than the fact that he's god and he gets jealous and whatnot um that aside there was an actual you're you're gonna laugh at me there's an economic reason he didn't like other gods
1: because of revelation
0: no actually i wasn't gonna go there (laughs) but i can
1: no, no, no. Because there are
0: plagues in Revelation that actually mirror blah, blah, blah. I could go there. Thanks for bringing it up. No. Um, but the religious systems. So guess who owned 80% of the land in Egypt? I don't know. The priests.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, temple yeah. Temple priests. Yeah.
0: So when God sets up the religious system in Israel, who's the tribe? that that is kind of the priestly tribe. Um sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Levi. Yeah. The Levites. The Levites. <laughs> the the Levite priests. Yes. So the Levite priests, and there was something about the Levite priests as a tribe that they did not get that every other tribe got. Land. They were not allowed land. Yeah because they were the priests. And in every other country that, and nation that had you know, their priestly caste and whatever that was, that was in charge of stuff, guess what? They all, contro- they all controlled land. Um, even into Jesus's day, uh, the, the temple system was the system for administration it was a system yeah. for social activity.
1: Like the temple ran society. It like, did. It like totally every, every, it. every part of society was woven and worked through, yeah. the, through the temple system. And,
0: and I'm not just talking about the temple system of Judaism. I'm talking about the temple system of, of all the gods. Right. Um, when Paul goes into um, Ephesus and gets stoned, part of the problem is what is he going after? The idols. Yeah. There's, there's a market there. There's, there's an economic issue at play. And so they try to stone him because they're like, he's trying to put us out of business. And let's face it, if you're going after the, the central part of how your economy runs, how your society runs, that is not going to go over well with the general population, much right. less the leadership. I mean, the, the leadership certainly is not going to get on board with it. because Power
1: fights to hold on to power every, always, single, every single time.
0: Always. And so you're going to have the, the, you know, the temple system in general, whether it's a pagan temple or it's the Jewish temple or whatever it is, that system is going to, is going to be like, no, you can't do this. (laughs) You will destroy us. Um, And that will be the end of our cushy way of life. And, you know, all the, the things that go along with that. But for the general population as well, that's their way of life, whether it's, whether they benefit from it or not, it's still their way of life, right. and it's what they know. And to change that was deeply threatening and was very problematic. So Christianity didn't thrive among the elite. Guess who it initially were the first major converts to Christianity? It
1: was always the oppressed.
0: Your slaves, your you yeah. know your your people coming out of prison, yep. you
1: know,
0: it, it which was... is part of.
1: I always find that fascinating in terms of our nation's history, um, and you know the intersection of slavery and uh, the you know the, the southern slave system, the plantation system, and Christianity.
0: How, how Christianity tried to uphold it.
1: Yeah. So so the slave owners gave uh, you know, wanted to make sure that. The slaves knew scripture because they read it as something that was oppressive, and would keep them in their place. And the slaves read it as liberating. Yeah. and they read re- the Exodus and went, right. "Hello!" It was really a liber <laughs> you know liberation for them. And they read it. And they went, "Wait a minute! There, there is." They read it from a completely different angle. Again, different context. Um, so they read it completely differently, and was sort of a, a kick in the rear to say, "Hey, this isn't right." Um and you know we have so many great african American spirituals that come from out of that out of that uh that time frame um i I always find that fascinating you know not just not just from a historical standpoint but from a from a, the power of scripture and if you you could make a point with scripture if you want to yeah, yeah. you can, you could you could make a point for scripture if you want to the i mean the slave owners made a point for for slavery based on scripture but if you look at the entire arc of scripture it's really hard to say that god thinks that slavery is okay yeah, like even bl- he even he
0: blew up a whole system even even if you it.
1: cut out exodus like even if you cut he, exodus out of their bible and say well here chew on these gospels um you know it, it's it's really it, it's hard to make a case for slavery when you when you look at the totality of scripture as one of the dangerous things about scripture you can you can cherry pick some verses and, and make a point but yeah, if you look at the entire, the entire scope yeah. of Scripture. But I find it very different. interesting
0: that part of why um, uh, God was very adamant about there be no other gods was because the other gods had demands that were oppressive and were yeah. demands that, and, and, and were part of this system that he was trying to just just get rid of and say no, this is this is not the, you know if you're going don't worship this stuff, worship me. And if you're worshiping me, you're you're living in this this society that cares for one another and and loves its neighbor and and does all of this, and you will have no poverty. Um, there will be no poor among you because you're you're living it out with with me as the focus not the, the economic system that gives you power, et cetera. Yeah. And, and hence why there was not supposed to be a king, because your power was not to, supposed to be derived from a centralized kind of you know, tiered system. Um, and now, <laughs> if you, you want to find an example of how it actually worked well, there is not one because you immediately get into the book of Judges and that becomes just, again, an issue of um, people just vying for power, of, yep. of once again, you know, kind of doing their own thing, what they all thought w- was right and whatever, and it eventually gives way to some kind of centralized um, government that says, okay, we need, we need rules, we need laws, we need, you know, we, we need something that is going to, do this because people on their own for whatever reason couldn't just follow the commands and live their life according to the commands that god gave right they had to have the system in place and I mean, as soon as you set up the system you set up um the the automatic um issue of inequality yep and so it, it to me it's just it's 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 fascinating and it's also like you said kind of heart wrenching to go oh, Here we like, are. we're we're so we're in trouble. You know, it's it's we can't get out of this. We can't do this. And and, and that
1: so the, the notion the notion of equality is is um, is scary for some people. Which and and I, I don't I guess I don't find it scary as much as I do recognize that there's maybe some some possible discomfort in that is that, you know, and I don't, I I mean, in the grand scheme. So if you look globally, um, American middle class is upper class. Like, I mean, let's just be honest. American middle class is upper class. Um, Compared to the rest of the world. Right. So, so if you take that, that means if there was, if there was biblical equality um, around the globe, not just nationally, but around the globe, um, so if, if you look nationally say, okay, so I'm middle class, so my lifestyle wouldn't change a whole lot if there was this, this leveling and this biblical equality. Um, but if you look at it globally, okay, so I'm, I'm American middle class. You take that globally, and my standard of living changes.
0: Oh, that was always the argument, is, is it isn't about making um, other people rich, it's about making everybody poor.
1: Yeah. Right. And that's the fear. Yeah, right. And, you know, but what, you know, what if we did, we, we tackled this with, you know, during our stewardship series this summer, um, you know, where got, you know, Jesus says, hey, give it all away. You go, yeah, but not, not really doesn't really mean all of it. Well, like if I give all of it away, then.
0: How do I survive? How
1: do I survive? It? And, well, but if everybody. If everybody puts it all in one pile and takes what they need, I think that's, that's one of our, that, again, and, one of our human struggles, you know, this idea of what a need is. Yeah, um, I, I was
0: going to say, and, and there lies the rub, it, yep. is what do I need versus yeah. what do I want. Yeah. And what I want tends to definitely override what, what I need. Well,
1: my want, my want overrides what other people need.
0: Absolutely, and
1: and and that's the rub. And I'm guilty of this I, too. Oh, so am I. Um, you know, I am. You know, we bought some bought some furniture this week. Was it a was it a need? Yeah. No, but we got some cool stuff. It's a want. But then you go, know, wait a minute. But there's, again, I I, I get I get the rub. Um, and it's all it's all part of it's all part of this struggle, um, and this journey. This, so this journey of faith, it, I don't we it's you, a.
0: It, it's a it's we've a never think, said it's easy it's a thank god god forgives us because it it it's a constant need for forgiveness
1: yeah and then, and then um, a, and then a and here for, so for me then it's the next step and can we do better yes you know okay so
0: well you can have two responses to forgiveness your response to forgiveness can be oh i'm forgiven so i'm just uh-huh. going to keep going and doing what i'm doing
1: yeah.
0: or your response to forgiveness can be I'm forgiven, and I, I need to see if there's any way I can make this situation better.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and and do something, say something, propose something, yep. work for something, get together with people, try to see if. So, I can is make there those those changes? Is there
1: an area of life where it's harder than economics? So take so let's take let's take addictions aside. Okay. Right, because addictions are a little different animal, so let's take addictions aside. Is there another part of life where it's harder to make that change to make to, to reconcile
0: well that it's 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 an all consuming thing because everything gets tied back in some way to economics. You want to talk about healthcare guess what it gets tied back to economics um
1: well i' I'm, ta- I'm talking so i'm talking yeah. I'm talking more more like and i I guess I need to use the word and look in the mirror, greed. Mm -hmm. So, so does it, is there any area that our our own personal dealing with money that's harder to reconcile? It's like, okay, so I, I'm a lousy husband. You know what? I I can, I can work on that. And, or I'm I'm not the parent I want to be. Oh, I can work on that. Um, And, and I think most people, are willing to, in those areas, do some, do some self-reflection and, you know, so the stresses of COVID and, you know, for us with kids at school, Christine and I look like, we're stressed. Like, we are probably not the the parents we want to be right now. You have that conversation, you make some adjustments to what you're doing parenting wise, and it makes sense. I think the struggle for so many people is, is, you know, the, is the money side, you, okay, and, and, maybe, and maybe the first step, what's the first step? The first step is admitting you have a problem. You know, admitting that we have an economic problem um, in this country or individually and say, okay, so my first, the first thing I need to recognize is I do not live you know, biblically, financially biblically sound. We tithe, but we, st- we probably still have room. We still have room. Um, I, I don't know. Like, it, it's, I, I, I guess I want to acknowledge that you know, a seminary education and a job as a pastor doesn't make us exempt from those things. Um, and if, if we all, us included, can just you know, kind of take a step back and do some self-examination and go, okay, so this part of my life is out of whack. It's out of alignment. And And
0: what what do I do to change it, and how painful is it going to be?
1: Yes, yes, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And and the big
0: part being, and how painful is it going to be?
1: Yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. And
0: and that's what I'm looking at when I look again at the story of of the hardening of the heart, is I want to be judgy. (laughs) I want to be like Pharaoh's, just terrible and blah blah blah. That
1: damn Jeff Bezos blasted himself into space today.
0: Yeah, and
1: Uh, guilty. Like, come on, Jeff.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's I want you know, like I said, I want I want to be mad. I want to I, I want to just be able to say that's them and they did horrible, awful things. The problem is. What scripture tends to do for me, which I don't know if it does this for anybody else, but what scripture always has done for me is it's been a mirror. Yeah. That is held up and that has said, okay, you want to be all judgy about Pharaoh. And yet, where are you participating? Where are you saying, no, I'm not going to make these changes because it's going to make my life more difficult?
1: Scripture is that social media picture. That gets posted that somebody else takes from the bad angle at the wrong time that really makes you look crappy, and you go, "Oh my God, I look like that."
0: Take it down! Take it down!
1: <laughs> and 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 uh, yeah. So I had Christina take a picture of me at the beach with Anna Mae in the water, where it was not a flattering picture. I said, "Honey, you got to take that down." Oh my God, I'm, you like? I look horrible. I'm embarrassed. I'm sorry. Um, and I, I think you know, scripture can be that as well. We don't have to put it on social media. Um, but, <laughs> but, but scripture can be that as well where we reflect and go, okay. But here's the thing. So last, yesterday was my day off. Um, I do not eat well on my day off. I hit every snack in the house on my day off and not the healthy ones. Um, so I'm a week and a half out from vacation I think two weeks, a week, I don't know, whatever it was. It was good. Back from vacation, I'm like, man, that picture was not flattering um, at all physically. Um, I need to get back to eating better and not drinking my calories. Well, then there's your day off. And it's like, well, I should, these chips have been here for a while. I'm just going to eat them. And then they won't be here anymore. So eat like the rest of a bag of, and not like a little snack bag, like with the rest of a bag of chips. I think that was, that was part of my lunch yesterday and like morning snack and, and it's like. All kinds of healthy. Yeah. So you know, how quick are we with things like that to say, you know what, I need, I need to be better. And then,
0: oops. Change is hard.
1: Change is hard. Dietary change is really hard, but that again, yeah. we're off track. Well, but, but but it's
0: but it's about habits and it's about what yes. you are used to and making those changes is not easy and 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 to recognize that that it's not easy. I mean, and and even when we're looking at things and we're saying, okay, you know, well, the, well, the church needs a change and we just sit there and we say, hey guys, you just need to get on board with our change. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's it hard. is it is systemically a very difficult thing to do just because. Even something as simple as changing your diet. But okay, but here's simple. so here,
1: here's the thing. Here's the simple. proof. Here's the proof in the pudding. So you over the last how many year and a half? Two years? Yeah,
0: it's been yeah two going on
1: three. Okay, two and a half, three years. Um, have hammered Weight Watchers and lost what?
0: Oh, I lost sixty pounds.
1: And do you feel better?
0: Oh yeah. Nice.
1: Here's the thing. Like we recognize those things that, that the, the areas where we're I don't want to say failing, but the areas where we're, we're, we're failing or we're not you know, functioning or, or acting or doing what we're, what, the way we should, we're not, we're not high-functioning. And we don't feel good not high-functioning. But when we do, when we force ourselves beyond that, we feel better. So there again, in, when we were in, in Gainesville before, before moving here, um, I, di- I did the P90X program, and I did it religiously. Now, for the first like two weeks, I couldn't walk because I was so sore. I thought I was gonna die. But man, I felt so much better. And then I got out of the habit. Clearly, I've gotten out of the habit. But when you're in when you do those things, same with scripture. When you do those things and engage, it makes you better. It makes you a better person. It makes you feel better. It makes you interact better. It makes you engage better in all areas of your life. We just have to do it. Yes. Nike, just do it.
0: But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a, a, another little monkey wrench in here. The wrench being even weight loss is economic.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, and where did I... I, it was in a sermon <laughs> you were on, you were on sabbatical we talked We talked about economics and and food, and you know so you're supposed to shop in case you didn't know this you're supposed to shop on the outside of the store, like not the aisles in the middle, the outside of the store where all your fresh produce yeah. and meats and all those things are not the pre prepackaged crap that's in the middle because the prepackaged crap that's in the middle, the majority of that stuff is is its it's cheaper. But it has, it has more crap in it and stuff that, that makes you unhealthy. So you're supposed to eat from that produce section and from the dairy section and from the, in moderation, and the meat section, and that's where you're supposed to shop. But if you're on a tight budget, you can't.
0: No. Like, I, I, you I've, can't.
1: It's expensive to eat from the outside of the grocery store.
0: So a little bowl of fruit. That you can yeah. Get, you know, that's, you know, now granted, it's all pre cut, and that's, you know, for, for those of us who, who don't like to spend a ton of time having to cut and peel. And but do even if you right? have
1: to cut it, it's expensive.
0: Yeah. It, but but so that, that little bowl of fruit is about $5. Yep. And I can get, I I can maybe eat two meals. And as a side, not yep. as my meal, but as like, you know. You can get
1: a can of fruit cocktail for like 69 well, cents.
0: Well, but not even the cr- fruit cocktail. The bag of, or the the box of craft macaroni and cheese. Oh,
1: 99, 99 cents. cents.
0: Now I can feed my kid the fresh fruit that I'm also going to have to probably feed them something else to go with it for $5 plus whatever the actual like other parts of food <laughs> are going to be, I mean, you know, yep. even if you're like, I'm going to eat fruit and nuts, it's like, have you seen how expensive nuts are?
1: Yeah. Um, it's and, nuts how expensive nuts are. <laughs> uh, no, no,
0: no, no. Um, but if if I'm a mom and I'm like, I'm on a budget, guess what my kids are getting? They're getting the box mac and cheese because it I'm is. I'm feeling
1: seen right now on that box mac and cheese. Um, <laughs> only one of my kids is willing to eat that stuff. <laughs>
0: question is, are you? Uh,
1: if it's there sometimes. Yeah. But, but you're right. Like the stuff in the middle, it's cheaper. Yep. And there's, and so, so often there's no nutritional value in that stuff. Um,
0: and it will make you gain weight and it will, yep. you know, make you feel yucky and, yeah. and whatever. And, but it's, it's quick. It's simple. It's
1: well, and so let's, let's take it, let's take it a step further. Mm-hmm. In many urban communities, in many urban impoverished communities, there is no grocery store. There is there now. We're just starting to get to a, a movement in this country where we have urban gardens and and uh, I don't know what they're called, but essentially it's a it's a produce truck, kind of like you know. For when I was a kid, it was the ice cream man or the, or the snowball man that would go by and ding the bell and have the ice cream. And you know, they're starting to have trucks with produce that will drive into the urban centers where there where there's impoverished communities and yeah. It, like there so if fresh food isn't even available in so many communities as an option eh, yeah ec- the economic the food economics and and then you know so that then plays into healthcare because if you're if you're eating foods that are high in sodium your your blood pressure goes up your weight goes up all those things so then you have the health side of it and it just feeds into this economic all system connected. where poverty just continues to ravish I don't know who else has been watching
0: Manifest on, on Netflix, but it's all connected. Um, <clears throat> anyway, we probably ought to start wrapping this up. So, so our takeaway.
1: <laughs> so, so much. Go ahead. Our takeaway
0: from no, no. I was going to say what what is our takeaway from the the Exodus story that we, we could summarize quickly?
1: Yeah. So, my so just real quick. My my. My takeaway from the sermon this weekend was reflecting that God doesn't work alone. That, you know, this Exodus, God had the ability to just kind of like rain down on Pharaoh and break it. Like, God had that ability, but God didn't. God chose to work through Moses and Aaron. So, we as people of faith can be like Moses and Aaron and we can help break down the systems of inequality. That, that, uh, that are repressive and oppressive and not like giving And as God's
0: people, that was the expectation of yes. what they were going to do as well yes. in the promised land was to live in an equitable society. They didn't do it, but that was the expectation. Yep. And guess what? As God's people, which we are also now God's people, we've been grafted in, Yep. what is the expectation?
1: The expectation hasn't changed. Like that, that's the thing. The ex- and, and again, that's the disheartening part. The expectation hasn't changed the expectation of how we are called to live and how we are called to engage the world has not changed. Society has changed, society has evolved, but the truth of Scripture, particularly on you know, economic justice issues, have not changed.
0: And at the, at the end of the day... Again, like I said we we know we are forgiven for all our failings, and
1: that's where we want to focus, right because it's, it's it's a way better story to say, whew, man thank God I'm forgiven
0: yeah well and and thank God I am forgiven because yeah. because otherwise it would be hopeless yeah, it would be absolutely hopeless to to look at this and say, well, we're not forgiven and and the the generations and generations and generations of unforgiven um that that would go all the way back and 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 that we have a gracious God that says, No, you're forgiven, but my expectation is still do and be better. Yeah. You're forgiven for failing. But I still, this is what I want. And, and, th- and this is always what scripture is moving us toward. This is always God's vision. God's vision is always that we live in that kind of a society. And um, whether it's something, and, and obviously it is also something we cannot do without God. Yeah. On our own, we absolutely cannot do it. Yep. Um, God had to come in and break the system. Yeah. And
1: which begs a question that I didn't throw out this weekend. He
0: breaks the iron rod.
1: Why hasn't he broken? Why hasn't he broken all the crap that's going on now? I mean, whew. that's a whole other podcast. We don't have time for it today. Yeah. But that was one of the things I struggled. <laughs> that's one of the things I struggled with this week. Like, you know, there are so many systems right now that need broken. Why? Why aren't they? And, may, and maybe they are just slowly and you know whatever. Um, but yeah, so my, my big takeaway was, you know, we are, as God's people, we're called to continue to, to, to break those systems. God, God works through people. Um, and God works through each and every one of us and equips us even when we don't think we're the right people to do it. Um, and it's, it's hard work. It's not easy. And, I think one of the biggest flaws of Christianity is we focus so much on what happens when we die and, and our salvation that we forgot how to live. Yep. And maybe we need to focus more on how to live and what happens when we die.
0: Yep. All right. Well, thank you for joining us and going on, on along on this, this, this fun ride, this, on this <laughs> exodus with on us, on this exodus with us. Uh, next week, I believe we are going to be talking about, uh, Paul, Saul, and 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 the road to Damascus and his his conversion. So, uh, listen, of course, on on Saturday or Sunday to uh, our live stream or here in worship to the the sermon on that, and then we'll be right back here with a podcast, kind of expanding upon it, just sort of like we did today with the previous sermon. So we look forward to seeing y'all next week. Have a great day.
1: Bye.